Hello and welcome to episode 8 of season 3 of the Right for Your Life podcast. Today I am joined by Jason Remus, who has just launched a new project called Sweating Commerce, and I'm very happy to have him here. Hello, Jason. Hello, Ian. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm doing uh, tremendously well. I do have the remnants of a blocked-up nose, um, but I am not going to complain about that for a single second because um, there are far more, far more difficult things to uh, cope with in this life rather than my pesky little cold. Um, we haven't had a podcast for the last two or three, three weeks. A couple of people have asked on Twitter um, why that is, and it's quite simple. Some scheduling problems, mainly due to me and mainly due to having four-month-old twins. I do tend to blame them for quite a lot of things um, at the moment. They are quite an easy... I, I guess once they start sort of being more aware of uh, things that I'm actually saying, they might start to object to me blaming them for like being late and um, not doing podcasts and that kind of thing. Um <laughs> But, you know, until they do know what I'm talking about, let's carry on. Um, So that's why there's not been a podcast, but hopefully we haven't. I have a a specific time now um, each week where I'm going to be recording and um, things should carry on as per normal. Um, So there, a bit of a bit of housekeeping there. Um, So, Jason, before we start talking about sweating commas, I'd like to know a bit more about your writing background. And then maybe that will lead on nicely to uh, to the new site and the new project. Sure. I most of the writing that I've been doing over the last few years has just been very technical in nature. My recent career experiences have been doing customer support, technical support. So I've been writing a lot of help documentation for web apps and for iOS apps and just generally explaining things to people. So more than having a formal writing career per se, I like to think of myself as an explainer and I do that really well with verbs with words uh, vocally as well as uh, on paper and on the screens too. See, now that's quite interesting because I've I've said before on the podcast that um, now I'm not going to suggest that the things that you're writing were boring. That's not what I'm going to suggest. Some of the things that I wrote when I first started my writing career were, were quite boring. That's not the right word. What I think I mean is functional and writing repeatedly writing um, well, as you say, things that are explaining something to to a specific audience. I found doing that was incredibly valuable for my um well actually for my for my creative writing but just for my writing in general when you when you have to explain something in sort of succinctly it seems to um just improve your all-round writing is that what you found is it kind of repetitive a repetitive thing if you're working on that kind of writing regularly did you find it had a positive effect on your writing in general absolutely uh funny enough even using twitter on a consistent basis can help with that sort of a thing if you're if you're gonna uh, for example, some of the companies that I've worked with, you know, we're tech companies. And so there are people who expect support in a variety of ways, and Twitter is one of them. Well, if you try to think of how do I answer somebody's very complex tech support in the space of 140 characters, you can actually come up with some very creative solutions. And just thinking along those lines really does help to clarify all types of writing that you might do. And another funny side effect that I found was. In dealing in emails, specifically with customers, specifically with angry customers, um, you have to write in such a way that you remove the people from whatever the sticky yes. situation is. And yep. so you write in a very passive way. And, and in doing so, I learned all of the ways that you can distance the subject from the action of a sentence or a paragraph. And I did that 
to protect the customers that I was writing with so I didn't hurt their feelings. But that taught me very well how to invert that for my normal writing and so thereby avoid using passive construction. Can I put you on the spot and, and, and ask you for an example of that kind of thing? Um, I probably won't be able to think of one off the top <laughs> of my head. Would it but be- if you can... Well, okay, here's here, – for a very simple example, um, this, this one should be obvious, but it's really not. But instead of saying, you broke this, you can say, this is broken. That's, that's a very simple way of distancing somebody from a situation. Yeah. But you could also say, this appears to be broken, which distances it a little bit more. You can even go so far as to say this appears to have been broken. Mm. And so you see we're kind of even, – even if you're looking at the, the way the sentence is constructed from where the subject and the verb appear, they're getting further and further apart. And emotionally, you're doing the exact same thing. Well, you could, uh, could blame someone else. So instead of just saying you broke this, you could say when someone breaks this. I mean that someone could be, could be exactly. Steve, Steve from accounts could have done it. It could be anyone. Exactly, exactly. Or when this situation occurs, we find that this is a, an appropriate solution to it. Yes. Instead of saying something, you did this wrong. Now, all of those sentences, as you say, are very passive, which is the opposite of what I did. The technical writing that I did, the kind of functional writing, was to try and strip out all kind of passive verbs. In fact, the second podcast of Series 2, I think, was about plain English and trying to simplify things. And I, I think or I remember saying then, the exception is when you're trying to remove blame from someone, which is basically what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. And so it's been, it's, it's been fun working for these companies because I'm doing a lot of this coddling of people as I'm explaining things in the emails, but then I'll turn around and write the help documentation where I do the exact opposite. And it's crisp and it's clean and it's very action-oriented steps to take to do what needs to be done yeah so it's been it's been a really great experience over the last few years yeah and as i say i when i was doing this this kind of thing and people are always surprised when i say this it was it was doing that kind of writing that i found i found it transformed my fiction so i happened to as i when i started doing that job i happened to more or less at the same time start writing my novel before that i'd been writing short stories and and my short stories were kind of fine, but then I suddenly found that I had the ability to... I kind of understood the linguistics more, I guess. I understood what I was doing, the techniques and all that kind of thing, and, and basically editing. And um, I found it just helped my all types of writing. It just improved in all kinds of ways. That makes a lot of sense. When I was in high school, uh, grade school and high school, and I certainly took English classes, and a lot of the technical descriptions of the different parts of speech and sentence formations and things just didn't stick with me. But then when I studied French, it all made sense. <laughs> As I was learning the same things, but in a different context, it just all kind of clicked and fell into place. And I think that's kind of what's happened here for you and me. When we write from a different perspective or a different with a different end in mind, then those parts make a difference or at least we're seeing the same pieces and the same parts from different perspectives. And we're looking at it as a puzzle and now we can put the pieces together, how they're supposed to go together. Indeed. And, um, and what's the current puzzle that you're working on? That's a very tenuous link, <laughs> but uh, sweating commas, tell us a bit about that. Sweating commas is a business born out of frustration. I read blogs. I read other writings on the web day in and day out and I'm so frustrated by the apparent lack of care that goes into the writing that, that people are publishing. And it's not that people are bad people. 
It's just that we now have far more people with a whole variety of backgrounds and writing experiences who are able to publish than ever before. And many, many, many of these people have great messages, great ideas, wonderful points that they're putting forth, but the sometimes inability to clearly communicate those points means that they're getting lost. And I hate it when a great idea is available and out there, but it can't be communicated correctly. And therefore readers just don't latch onto that person or latch onto that idea. And so rather than starting up my own blog, making fun of everybody who can't spell there correctly or choose the correct version of there in their sentence, I thought, well, maybe I can do something about it. And so sweating commas came around as a way to, provide professional editing services for people who never thought they would ever have the opportunity to work with an editor before. And you have this um, subscription model for sweating commas, which I find particularly interesting. I spoke again, referring back to previous episodes, but I spoke before with Mike about how to make money online. And now I know that this is a, more of a business kind of thing, as opposed to a hobby that you might make money out of um, or, or a blog that you may try and, monetize there's that word um but the subscription idea is something that i taught like kind of a membership type thing is what i talked about with with mike but this this idea of subscription for a, for a service is actually quite unique i mean i've done some freelance writing over the last particularly over the last four months when i was between jobs and um, and it went quite well but it was a very traditional way of freelancing you kind of you find a client you do the work and then you invoice them at the end and then if you're lucky you may get another project or it might be another couple of years and then you get another project with them or not that's kind of the normal way of doing it but the idea that you have what's called what i guess what we would call in in the design industry when i've when i've worked in the design industry would call it a retainer with a client where they pay a certain amount and then whenever they need work doing you use that money but this isn't like that either really you have this subscription model which i i quite like the sound of and i I said to you before we started recording it seems so obvious now that i've seen it in action (laughs) so tell us a bit about that well the idea is i in all of the work that i do if I'm not making my client's job easier, then I'm not really succeeding in what I do. And so with something like editing for people, particularly editing on the web, I knew I would be dealing with small pieces, very small projects. And the idea of invoicing somebody for every small project that I do is just sounds like such a hassle for me and even more so for the customer. How could I get somebody to sign up for a service if I'm going to be essentially giving them the same amount of paperwork after the service has been done as they've been providing to me to edit? It just didn't make sense. And so the idea of a a subscription came to mind where you can – I have a couple of different levels. You select the subscription level that makes the most sense for the volume of writing that you do – And then we just have an understanding between us of how much you're going to submit, when you'll get it back, and how much does your subscription plan cover. Completely take the invoicing, the billing out of the equation so we can focus exclusively on getting the the work done that they want to get done. And I'm using PayPal for accepting uh, payment. So I can set up a recurring billing for people. So when they sign up for their subscription, they select once to begin that process, and then we never have to think about it until that current re- uh, recurring cycle <clears throat> comes to an end, at which point we can, I can set up a new link where they can renew it. 
I mean, uh, I, I think one of the things that um, that appeals to me about this, as a freelance writer, someone who's trying to make money out of writing, the it, it always feels like, well, any freelancer, I guess, there's always a kind of, you always feel like you're in a precarious position because you're always moving from one job to the next. So you're, you're kind of always, and this is a good thing to be on your toes and to want to you know try and win new work. But you know, it's a freelancer's life of um, of you know hoping you have to work, you have to find the next meal, I guess, you know, the, the next paycheck, and it's a constant process, and it can be quite difficult to have a consistent income. So some months you may earn a fortune, and other months you may earn barely anything, and that's kind of always the freelancer's uh, dilemma, I think. With something like this, if you can have, um, uh, let's say, you know, even if it's just a, a modest amount, let's say it's a fifth or, a, or, or, I don't know, maybe a quarter of your income is guaranteed because you know that it's um, through the subscription model, then presumably that gives you a bit more, well, a bit more chance to relax, but also perhaps a bit more freedom to, uh, or I guess it's easier to organise your working life to a degree. It definitely is. And the stability offered by that sort of a model really appeals to me because it's in in some ways it's the best of both worlds i've got dedicated customers that want to continue working with me because i'm doing good work and we have a model in place or system in place that will allow us to continue doing that with minimal interruption but at the same time i'm not locked in to work that I don't want to do. I don't have the drudgery of same tasks over and over again working for a company that I don't care about or who doesn't care about me. Uh, so yeah, the stability is fantastic. And um, But I did create a way for people to work with me without having to be a subscriber. You can purchase an individual edit, and I also made a 10-pack of edits that you can buy at a discounted rate per piece. So there's a little bit of everything for people there. And you obviously uh, think that there is a, a need for this kind of service. So you, you talked to um, me before about there being a problem with writing on the web, and, and you said that this was a business born of frustration, I think is the phrase you used. So yes. what, what do you see as the problem with um writing for the web it's an interesting thing because it's kind of a problem but it's not really a problem until you decide how you're going to approach it and what i mean is when the internet exploded on the scene and web blogs were born everybody all of a sudden had the ability to have a voice and to publish and that is a great great thing but it's been going on for so long now that we're becoming flooded and we're starting to see some ways that uh, I'll use the word gatekeepers are kind of trying to control that flood. You see it in the terms in the uh, curation style blogs like minimal Mac or the loop. They are pulling at uh, pulling articles from sites that they read and how do they choose which articles to, to represent on their site. They have to have some criteria to choose from. And when you are reading across all of the Apple sites in the universe and choosing which Apple sites you're going to quote on your site, you're going to choose the ones that impact readers the most. And if your writing is uh, grammatically incorrect or you are unable to clearly convey your messages or your ideas, then that those are the sites that are not going to be picked. And we've started to see some of those curation sites cropping up over the last three or four years. And now with the magazine from Marco Arment, 
we're starting to see a new level of gatekeeper. And it's, it's interesting, that whole level of publishing is really interesting to me because what we're seeing is people who have had blogs for several years are now making the leap to this uh, magazine that isn't quite traditional publishing as in Newsweek, Times, Time Magazine, New Yorker, but it's certainly higher caliber than everybody else's blog. And so in order to in order to get accepted at those different levels as a writer, you need to make sure you're on top of your game. And one way that you can do that is by partnering with somebody who's going to help you do better at what you're doing. It's about quality, really, isn't it? I guess is what you're saying. I mean, the magazine is um, for for anyone listening who doesn't know is um, it's um, well, it's, it's it's kind of it's an app, I guess. Really, it's in it's available for iOS. So it's on the iPad and the iPhone, and it's it's uh, run by Marco Arment, who is a member of Read and Trust, who is uh, which I am also a member of, and um, and he's the guy who founded Instapaper and um, and co-founded Tumblr way back when. Um, a lot of people will know him, some people won't. And um, and he's he's launched this project called The Magazine, and it is fantastic, really. I really like it. So it's just five or six articles every couple of weeks, and there is no sort of bells and whistles. It's really, it's pretty much just, just the text, and it's really sort of nicely designed, and the quality of the articles is very high, and the subject matter is quite diverse. And I guess what you're saying is to um, uh, uh, is to get to that kind of standard where you're when you're being considered for publication and that kind of thing. You need to take your writing a bit more seriously and and make sure. I guess it's I guess it's almost making sure the basics are right, isn't it? That's what commas are all about. They're kind of the basics and you know punctuation, grammar, all that kind of thing. Because it can you know if you get you can have the best idea in the world and the you know a fantastic um, you know a really meaty blog post or, or, or article for a, a newspaper, whatever it might be. And um, and if you've got a dirty, great spelling mistake right in the middle, it's kind of the whole thing deflates like a flan in a cupboard. It's awful. Sure. So, so I guess sure. you're, that's, that's the kind of um, problem you're looking to solve, is it? Exactly. And even for somebody who doesn't have aspirations to write for a, a publication like the magazine, you know, maybe you're, you're satisfied with your own blog, but the but you've got to remember that if there's a spelling error or if there is um, any sort of uh, punctuation mistake that prevents the reader from understanding that sentence the first time they read it, they have to go back and read it. And now you've just wasted their time. And a reader whose time continually is wasted by reading your work is not going to come back to keep reading your work. Indeed. I mean, I, I, I come at the whole thing from a slightly different angle, I think, because I've my, my um, I mean, obviously, I've got the blog and I've done all that kind of thing. But um, uh, professionally, I, I'm, I've been a copywriter for years. So I'd be working on more corporate websites. So writing for the web, but I'd be I'd have, uh, you know, paying clients, I guess. And um, it's amazing how how often the writing, the content, that's um, that's the bit that where, where there is uh, less focus, shall we say. And, you know, that's the bit that when the budget gets tight, that's the bit that where the days get cut. So the design and the development, you know, the website needs to look good. But, um, but you, you know, I would argue that, you know, the content is the main thing. And, and the same principles apply. If you're writing for the web or just writing generally, you know, in my opinion, then you have to make sure it's good. And like I say, get those basics right because it can have, uh, it can have a real, a real 
it can have a real impact on um, and very quick impact on on how people perceive um, not just that specific post, but you as a writer as well. I mean, people make mistakes. It's, it happens. Um, you will have the odd spelling mistake uh, that or you know or grammar kind of hiccup. But um, if you're doing that consistently, then you know you, you're, you're going to have a problem, and people will. Uh, you're, well, you won't pick up readers because they'll get fed up of reading what they would probably consider to be shoddy writing, I guess. Exactly. And even though this is kind of a negative view of web writing, the thing I want to make clear is that there's no judgment at all. Like you said, everybody makes mistakes. When we're all working on keyboards on our computers, it's so easy to make a typo. And I'm sure you would agree as a writer that when you are deep in a piece and you're trying to read over it again, you're not going to see all of the errors that you might see because you're just way too close to the work. And uh, my first recommendation to people is simply set it as- write, a- write your first draft, set it aside, come back to it once you've had a chance to work on something else or just be away from it for a while. And then you're in a much clearer position to evaluate what it is that you've written and how it could be better. And for the people who want to take it even just a step beyond setting their work aside, that's where I come in. Yes, I mean, and I know I know people who do. Um, uh, I think I think that when it, in terms of blogging, which I think is people who people who have uh, blogs or who who kind of want to take their blogging or their, their their web writing a bit more seriously, I guess that's your sort of target market, is it? Exactly, and I, I think that I think there's a tendency to think, and I think this may be part of the problem, that they think, well, well, it's just it's just a blog, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't really <laughs> matter, and so you end up just and and, and there's a rush to publish as well, which uh, I've always found, and I I've succumbed to it myself. If you don't get anything on the internet for a couple of weeks, you start to panic and think, right, well, I just need to put something up there, and um, and you kind of you, the quality slips and and. Uh, and uh, and like I say, people think, well, it's just a blog; it doesn't really matter, or it's just um, I don't know. They could be writing for a, a larger website; it could be anything really. And um, I think I think that happens quite a lot. But I guess what you're saying is, and I think I'm agreeing, is that um, those kinds of things, you know, really, they take a, they have a cumulative. Okay, that's very difficult to say on a live podcast. Cumulative effect, and um, and eventually they really they really do. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of what I like to talk about with people as it relates to what I'm doing is we're, we're talking about, we're not talking about correcting people's spelling. You know, that's not what I'm about. I'm not about correcting your spelling. I'm about preserving your reputation. I'm about instilling confidence in you as a writer so that when you sit down to write, you don't have any unnecessary anxiety about how it's going to turn out in the end because you do have somebody who's looking out for you throughout the par- throughout the process. Indeed. And before we finish, do you have any specific pet peeves? Oh my gosh. What my I, the one that pops immediately to the front of my mind is just people using ellipsis when they write to kind of denote a longer pause than a comma would denote and I just hate that for for a couple of reasons. It's okay in dialogue, but if unless you're using the ellipsis to stand in for words that are actually missing, it just doesn't <laughs> just doesn't work for me. It's kind of a lazy thing, isn't it? It's, <laughs> if you don't know if you don't quite know what to say or just stick an ellipsis in. I think it is. A lot of people try to use it for effect, but the people who try to use it for adding drama are you doing it all the time in their writing. And so 
if you read their work on a regular basis, you just kind of begin to ignore it after a time. Indeed. My personal pet peeve is something that I've written about before, and that's um, uh, badly written links. And there is a slightly serious reason for this. So some people, the, the, the obvious example is click here. So he might say click here to to find out more, and then it's just just the click here is the actual link. But the link itself is very important uh, because of uh, it's because of accessibility. So if you're um, um, a partially sighted person and you are using a screen reader to access the internet, then those links will appear in a list. Now, if they all say click here, because that's what you've linked, that's that's what all your links are, then um, then they will have no idea where those links are going to. And it kind of goes for people who are you know sort of who have proper full working site. Um, you know that you need descriptive links, so it needs to say uh, you could you can write click here, but you could put find out more about sweating commas. And if that was all a link, that would make perfect sense on its own in isolation, particularly for someone with a screen re- who is using a screen reader. So badly written links, that's my um, my irritation. Though, yeah, that's that's very annoying too. Even even if you're even from the standpoint of somebody who's just going to scan. The article instead of reading the whole thing. Yes. If you if you make it a habit of making your links descriptive, then you are actually have a really good chance of uh, roping in those readers to become to get more engaged with your article. Because if they're just scanning through and all they see is click here, click here, click here, that's all they hear in their head and that's all they comprehend from the article. But if you're using those descriptive links like you're talking about, then even the people who are just scanning through will actually get something from your article. Absolutely. It's a it's a very it's a usability basic. Um, people yep. people scan articles generally instead of reading them thoroughly. So and if people want to come back to that article they want to go straight to that link. Ah I, th- I think it's probably I think that's another episode, isn't it, Pet Peeves? We could be probably here all day. <laughs> Probably a series or episodes, maybe even a full season. Indeed. Okay, well, I think that's our time up. Thanks very, very much for uh, joining us, Jason. Uh, before we go, we need, to, uh, we need to know where the heck we can find you and uh, Sweating Commas on the internet. It's pretty straightforward. The website is sweatingcommas.com, all one word. On Twitter, my handle is at sweatingcommas, again, all one word. I'm also on app.net as at longstride. Marvellous, and um, you can find me at Ian Broom on Twitter, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, and um, you, can find, um, you can find me on the... <laughs> where the hell is it? I don't know. It's the blog, <laughs> isn't it? And that's uh, ianbroom.com. And of course, uh, the Right for Life, Life podcast is part of the 70 Decibels Network with lots of other marvellous uh, podcasts that you can listen to, so go and check out all the rest of those there too. Um, and I think that's it. Thanks again, Jason. Thank you, Ian. It was a pleasure to talk with you. And um, we shall um, speak to everybody uh, at some point in the future. <laughs>